0: We could have your attention for a moment. I'd like for you all to join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'd like for... Alberta to come up and read the Al-Anon preamble for us, please.
1: The Al-Anon family groups are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength, and hope in order to solve their common problems. We believe alcoholism is a family disease and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Al-Anon is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution, does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. There are no dues for membership. Al-Anon is self-supporting through its own voluntary contributions. Al-Anon has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics, and by giving understanding and encouragement to the alcoholic.
0: Thank you, Alberta. Before we um, get into the business at hand here, I'd have one announcement at least. Um, Tomorrow morning there is an AA meeting scheduled at 10 o'clock, a spiritual meeting, and that time has been changed. It's on your program at 10 o'clock, but it will actually be held at 9.30 tomorrow morning. So if you want to make an adjustment in your agenda, that will be at 9.30 tomorrow. It's uh, been kind of neat for me the last few minutes to look out over this room, and uh, you guys put on a pretty good show. I see a lot of love. I hear a lot of laughter. And I see examples all over the room of people whose lives have been changed by the beautiful program that we share. And I see families that have been healed by this program. To me, the one of the most important things about our program is that it is, it is a family program. And that's really what we're celebrating today. We have an Al-Anon speaker, an Alateen speaker, and an AA speaker. and. Uh, that will give us a, uh, a view of the program from each of the three viewpoints. The, uh, the program, as I, as I say, I believe is a family program. We see all the time that families are healed by, by living and believing this program. And today we get to hear some examples from some people who have been around about how they were able to do that. The first uh, speaker we're going to hear is a member of the Allenon, or I'm sorry, yes, he's a member of the Allenon family group. I'm getting confused. Oh, sure, I'm a Jean Louise earlier. When I speak, I'm never nervous. I don't know why I'm nervous today. I don't have to do anything. Um, I'm sorry. I'm JC. I'm an Allenon. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. <laughs> One other thing I forgot to do is introduce some other people at the table who will not be speaking today, and I better do that. Um, I'm going to start down here at the end of the table and introduce Winnie E., who comes to us today from La Puente, California, and she's going to be one of our future speakers this evening, Winnie. And thanks to some help, you already met me. That help, I believe, came from Jean Louise over here. (laughs) Jean Louise is the uh, Al-Anon chairman for this year's state convention, and she has worked long and hard and uh, kept a lot of the rest of us in line to make all of this happen today. Jean Louise. On her left is the lady who has been the chairperson for today's luncheon, and is responsible for uh, what we're enjoying right now, W.S. And on W.'s left is a gentleman that I'm sure many of you know, Dick S., and his only reason for being here today is because W. told him he had to sit up here. (laughs) She told me that. He didn't deny it, so. <laughs> now we'll get on with uh, introducing some speakers. And um, our first speaker is a member of the Allenon family group, and I first met uh, this gentleman about, uh, oh, I don't know, about three years or so ago, I guess. Uh, I'm sure I had met him before that, but I, my first real strong memory of him goes back... Uh, about two or three years. Uh, it was one of those Sunday morning spiritual meetings that I remember so strongly. And uh, and he and his wife chaired that meeting. as, uh, And you'll meet her in a few minutes, too. Um, this is also a case where we see a family that has lived and, and grown in the program. And at that, uh, that meeting that morning, I was very impressed by what this spiritual program showed to me in the lives of that family. They are um, a bunch of neat people, and I just don't know whether John is the captain of the ship or whether he is just allowed to sail along. At any rate, I'd like for you to meet John M. from Aurora.
2: get one on each side here we'll be all right and yeah, I, I was quite surprised first time I met J.C. for because for years I thought I was J.C. <laughs> and I sure as hell acted like it um, I like to start by telling a story that I I heard on tape and it was a, a story that was told at at uh, Palm Desert and the story is about a, a judge that liked to imbibe a bit and, and he got drinking uh, one afternoon Anybody else want to join them? <laughs> the judge got drinking quite a bit one afternoon at a, a bar association meeting. On his way home that night he got into the car the motion of the car got him sick and he threw up all over himself and uh, being, being a fast thinking alcoholic he, uh, he had a ready answer for his wife when he walked into the house he said he'd picked up a hitchhiker and the hitchhiker had got sick and the hitchhiker had thrown up on him but he said don't worry I've got him down in jail and he comes up for sentencing tomorrow morning and the next morning, the judge was in his chambers. He got a phone call from his wife, and she said, Has that man come up for sentencing yet? And he said, No, he's due here in about ten minutes, and I'm al- I've am i already made up my mind I'm going to give him 30 days. And his wife said, Well, you better give him 60 days, because he crapped in your pants too. <laughs> uh, um, the... Uh, the thing I like about that story uh, is it was told by an alcoholic, uh, of two alcoholics, and it was told about alcoholism. But if any of you are like me, I heard something else. You know, I heard a woman who wasn't going to let that SOB get away with anything. She had to let him know that she knew what the hell he was up to. And I went through that for a long, long time, longer than I, I cared to really to look back on. Um, I was the oldest of seven kids. Uh, I came from a, a loving uh, Irish Catholic family. Uh, there was not a lot of love demonstrated in the home, although we knew we were loved. Uh, we were not a huggy, touchy, kissy family. Um, my folks were raised in Western Massachusetts among the Yankees, and, uh, and apparently they picked up some Yankee habits. Uh, you don't do that sort of thing. Uh, regardless, you know we went we went through uh, what I consider to be a happy childhood. We had we had a lot of advantages that that other people did not. You know we had a summer place at the lake, and we had horses up at the lake, and we you know we. We learned to play golf because my dad belonged to a golf course. That sort of thing. You know, that was, uh, and, and there were things that we did together. You know, and those were those were fun things. I do remember some things that were a bit peculiar. My father liked to be the grand entertainer. You know, when he'd have uh, folks over for a party. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd buy booze by the case and, and ice by the tub full and he'd dare him to drink him out of booze. Uh, but he did, had that same attitude when it came to entertaining the, the kids in the neighborhood. Sunday afternoon, he'd say, well, come on, we're all going to a movie. And the kids would always kind of hang around, you know, because they knew that Dad would uh, take them all to the movie. But I wouldn't go. And... and uh, I guess what I was looking for was, was uh, some kind of recognition. I, I, you know, it, it would set me apart from them. Uh, they would beg me to go. I would not go. And I guess that was a, an effort to, to try to be different. And uh, I think that attitude was something that I, I grew with. Uh, The oldest in the family, of course, always gets uh, saddled with quite a bit of responsibility. You're the oldest, you should know better. I was caught hell, you know, for the the things my brothers and sisters were doing. Because I was the oldest, I should have known better. I should have stopped them, you know. Uh, I was always very active in in sports, and I think that that the the need to be recognized uh, probably carried into sports. I... I had to be the best and uh, you know I would um, a sport that is not done out here I was a speed skater back in those days and uh, my god you know we used to we used to train I would I would never work that hard on a job you know I would never work that hard for anything as I look back on it today but I I needed that that recognition my wife and I married in 1944. Um, that's 37 years to the same woman, and I'm damn grateful for that today. <laughs> I was, uh, what, 22? My wife was 21 when we got married. And uh, we started raising... Pardon? Pardon? pillow talks tonight (laughs) anybody care to take my place (laughs) I recall a story of a gal telling about um, how she was in church one Sunday and and the minister announced that it was this lady's birthday and she thought that was just nice you know that he had recognized it was her birthday and then he undid the whole thing by telling how old she was And what the hell's so funny about that <laughs> now anyhow um, we uh, we started having kids about one a year for a while and then we slowed down to one every two years and and then uh, a few years back Charlotte was showing some signs of malignancy and and the, the doctor uh, I don't know whether he took out the governor or put in a governor but whatever it was we don't have any more kids after that <laughs> Um It was a stern household. Um, My favorite expression was that this house is not a democracy. There were no votes. Um, I had the vote. And uh, those decisions were were not up for discussion. Uh, I decided what we were going to do, when we were going to do it, how we were going to do it, who was going to be there, and who wasn't going to be there. It's not happy to look back on, on some of those things. They were not all bad, uh, because I remember uh, many Sunday mornings that we would, we would uh, pack up a picnic breakfast and picnic lunch, and we'd go off up into the hills for uh, an early Mass and, and uh, picnic breakfast, picnic lunch, and, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, but I had planned that fun, by God. <laughs> I remember we were with another couple one day and it started to rain while we were up there, and, and uh, the four adults were sitting out in the rain uh, telling the kids that they ought to come out here because this is where all the fun was. You know, the kids were smarter than we were. They were sitting in the car where it wasn't raining.
3: Um,
2: I traveled a lot. Um, I would come home on weekends, occasionally, and uh, when I would come home, it was my duty, you know, as a as a stern father, to lay down the law to those who had misbehaved. And uh, I would I would campus uh, various children for uh, various lengths of time. Uh, they were not to leave the house, or they were not to leave the porch. They were not to leave. Uh, our lot for whatever length of time I had decided and then on uh, Sunday afternoon I would kiss my wife goodbye and tell her have fun <laughs> and she was left there to to carry out the um, the wishes of uh, the higher power I uh, I don't look with pride on those things but but that's what happened that's what happened. Uh, as far as our drinking is concerned, uh, we had a lot of fun. You know, we, uh, we started drinking when, uh, when I was in college, and uh, we went to a lot of parties. And uh, there was always drinking involved. Uh, at first, at, at the parties that we would have in the home, of course, it was always a bring-your-own because we could not afford to buy drinks for everybody. But there was damn little left at the end. I know that. Uh, when we went out, uh, we had some people moved in up the street from us on on Vine Street, and our favorite express. Let's go out for an early cheap evening. Well, an early cheap evening was uh, you know several drinks at home before we left, and then one on the road, of course, at least one on the road, and then a couple of more when we got there. Um, two more got to be three more, and And several more, and finally, you know, we'd say, "Well, I suppose we ought to get something to eat," you know. And by that time, who the hell, you know, they could have served us sawdust. But there were no regrets, except that we spent an awful lot of money. I remember uh, (laughs) one of one of the things I think that Charlotte used to dread so much was income tax time. And uh, yeah, I used to smoke cigars, and they were. They're big, long, dirty things, and they smelled something awful. I, I, I see now, you know. But income tax time, the cigars would go, and, and I'd take out the pipe, and, uh, you know, we are going to save money. You know. We are not going to spend the kind of money that we spent last year. And I remember looking at our, our booze bill, because I always managed somehow to deduct that as a business expense. And, and I said, "My God, you know, you know, we spent five hundred and some dollars last year in booze." And Charlotte said, "No, did we really?" And you know, I didn't know by this time that that she was getting into it pretty good. And what I didn't know was, hell, she was buying booze all over town, and I knew nothing about that. <laughs> oh, they're sneaky! They're sneaky. Um, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, Charlotte had made a decision that, that, uh, that she wanted to help with her drinking. And she went to Hazleton in, uh, in Minnesota. And while she was there, um, it, was, it was strongly suggested that I go to Al-Anon. And she told me so on the phone. You know, I, I drove her up because I knew she wouldn't want to go alone. <laughs> You'll hear a different version of that. <laughs> Somewhere between the true however is probably the truth anyhow um, I said that I would go to Al-Anon. and uh, three or four conversations came up like and I kept agreeing that I would you know it's it's kind of like agreeing to, to talk at a thing like this you know as long as I don't have to do it today it's okay you know and I can agree to do it. Um, I went to Al-Anon, uh, and I took I think three daughters and two sons maybe with me, because you don't want to walk into that bunch you know unprotected. <laughs> you need all the help, damn help you can get, and I, I had it. And they were they were a lovely bunch of people, and thank God some of them uh, are here today, and thank God I still see a lot of those people at meetings, and that's good for me. I need them today. As much as I needed them then, I need them today. But I saw those people at that meeting and they knew nothing about willpower. So I told them all about willpower. <laughs> well, what the hell, you know. was I don't know if that's considered a corporal work of mercy to enlighten the ignorant or something, but you know, they smiled a lot and they nudged each other and said, geez, we got another one of them, you know. They said a couple of things that that I did hear. They uh, and I and I think this is perhaps the first miracle in my life that took place at Al-Anon. And it was a very simple statement. And all it was was that alcoholism was a disease, and I didn't know that. You know. I blame myself. With an ego as big as mine, I figured that if we didn't have so many kids, my wife wouldn't drink so much. You know. And if I didn't travel so much my wife wouldn't drink so much and you know I had no idea that it was a disease so for me that was that was a miracle that I that I was able to hear that even was I didn't go there to hear anything I went there because I was supposed to and I guess I figured too if it would if it would help my wife uh, get sober and stay sober I was going to be noble enough to do my part. After all, I'd caused. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, I went to Al-Anon um, while my wife was in treatment, and when she came back, I went with her to open AA meetings. And I did not hear anything at those open AA meetings that pertained to me, uh, because they were, you know, they were talking about. Alcoholism and, and my wife, you know, cause she was, a, she was one of them and I hope to hell she was listening and, and that good stuff. And I think there are still people who are amazed that I can stand up and say more than my name because I recall now looking back at those meetings and I would stand up and I'd say, my name is John and I am an Al Anon and I would start to cry. And my tears were tears of gratitude. Uh, you were giving me back a wife, a person that uh, I had not known for a long time. I'm also known as Crying John, so, you know, <laughs> Doesn't bother me in the least. If it bothers you, too bad, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was able to express my thanks, I think, to uh, to those people who were who were giving me back a life. And that went on. Um, I don't really know now how long. Must have been six months, maybe eight months. Um, and I met one night. Dear Dottie said to us uh, down at um, what was the name of that Cherry Creek. So I bring my memory along with me. <laughs> And uh, she said, "You know, John, going to a lot of open AA meetings is not the same as going to Al-Anon." And uh, I, you know, I had learned to love Dottie by that time, or at least respect her. I don't think I had, I don't think I had learned to love anybody then. And strangely enough, a week or so later. Valerie made the same statement in the same words and I don't know yet whether that was collusion or not. <laughs> but I love them for today for for being able to say that because I began to understand what they meant. And I have had a love affair with Al-Anon ever since. Um, many of you re- may remember George McClellan who, who was so active here in, in Al-Anon. Uh, George and, and Opal moved down to uh, to Mesa, and you know I missed him a lot. Um, and while I'm thinking about it, uh, Ray uh, Pease died last week, and uh, George is dead now. And uh, God, I ain't all that old. <laughs> I, I get onto this subject, I, but what, what I'm thinking about is simply this. There's a lot of George McClellan lives today in me. And there is a lot of Ray lives today in me. And with many of you, because they they went to meetings and they, they shared uh, where they were and what they were going through and what they had learned uh, from this program. Uh, I think it is appropriate to, uh, to say uh, what Al-Anon is or who is an Al-Anon. You know, an Al-Anon is not a person who is married to an alcoholic. An Al-Anon is not a person who is a son, daughter, relative, friend of an alcoholic. An Al-Anon, for me, in my definition, please understand, in my definition, is a person who attends Al Anon on a regular basis and tries to practice these principles in all of our affairs. <laughs> For those of you who fit the first definition, um, who are married to or in love with or care about an alcoholic or a person who drinks too much or a person whose drinking habits bother you. We welcome you to please come to Al-Anon. We need you and we love to have you. We want to know you. We We want you to be able to receive the many blessings that we receive. I am forever grateful that that Al-Anon is not a thing like a a school session where where we go and we learn something once and and you know that's it and, and we pass the course you know or get a degree as somebody commented you know um, I am I am learning things fortunately as I go along at the uh, at the international in Denver I learned to accept the love of my Al-Anon friends. The people from Salt Lake literally showered me with love when they were here. I had We travel a lot and uh, spent a lot of time in, in Utah, and, and these people came to that international and just threw their arms around me, and, and they expressed love. And I, I was not used to that. Uh, I, Know, don't touch me. <laughs> and, but they didn't know that, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I was able to accept that love for the first time in my life. And that taught me that, you know, if I can accept your love, I can also give you my love. And that took a long, long time. Many of us uh, get confused in the expression, uh, you know, and and the the word love is sometimes confused with sex or heat. And uh, you know, (laughs) I am, I am, I am now able to express my love to my family, my uh, now oldest son, who is well, he got married about a year and a half ago. And at his wedding, I was able to put my arms around Tim and tell him that I loved him. And Tim's response was beautiful. He says, it's been a long time, Pop. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a long time. But, you know, I've been able to break the ice, you know. Doing that, I talked to a young fellow by the name of Matt who, uh, who has come to a couple of our Al-Anon meetings. And we, I, I've been able to talk about how I went through this and how I was able to break the ice with, with my kids and tell them that I love them. And I said, have you been able to, to uh, hug your dad and tell him that you love him? He said, not yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. And I guess that's the way it comes. you know, Slowly, slowly, um, I've been able to now uh, express that love you know, for my wife. And for my friends in Al-Anon. And today it's going further than that. There's a whole big world out there. And, you know, we we live in that world. you know. And I am able to do that with people out there, too. I w- we were at a convention in, uh, in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and there was a guy there who really gave me a bad deal on a business deal a few years back when I hadn't seen him. But I was glad to see him, and I went up and I threw my arms around him. I said, "Dick, I'm I'm just so happy to see you," and I was. And some guy in the room says, "Geez, you got to watch out for those guys, you know." <laughs> and uh, and I figured, well, hell, you know, if that's a problem for him, that's too bad, you know. But I felt good, you know. I felt good about it, you know, because that's the way I felt at that time. But, you know, I have, I have customers now and they say, geez, you've changed a lot. You know, and, and, you know, I can say thank you. That's nice. It's nice to know that I am changing. But I am changing on a daily basis. I am happy to tell you now that uh, for a little over four years ago we sold our big house and, and uh, we're living in a little condominium and, and townhouse and we bought a great big motor home, and my wife travels with me. And we go to meetings all over western United States and sometimes eastern United States when God finds an excuse to... (laughs) i got to tell you this story. (laughs) Son John got married in Darien, Connecticut. We went down there for the wedding. On the way back, there was a a Greyhound bus that I wanted to look at in Waynesboro, uh, Waynesboro, Virginia. Well, that's not much out of the way. (laughs) So... We decided we'd go down there and look at it, and it was about 50 miles. The, the route down was about 50 miles out of the way from Newmarket. You remember Ralph K. Ralph K. Okay, uh, from Denver. Now lives in Newmarket, Virginia. I phoned him. I said, "Hey, we're on our way. We just want to stop and say hello. You got to stop." He said, "We're having a. We have an AA meeting tonight. We have an Al Anon meeting tonight, and we really." We really want you to to uh, go to the meeting. I really can't do it. We've got to be in Waynesboro in the morning. I got a nine o'clock appointment. Want the kids to go through the mill down there and so on. Well, we pulled up in front of Ralph's house. And of course, I couldn't get the damn thing started. You know, you know how God works. You know. <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> so uh, I still wanted to be on the way. I said, Ralph. I, I got to get this thing fixed because we got to be. He said. Junior down there at the, at the corner station down there, he can fix anything. So it, I got it started enough to get me down to Junior station. Junior says, it's too hot now. I can't work on it till morning. I think Ralph called him. You know. <laughs> but we did go to a uh, an Al-Anon meeting that night. And, and Charlotte went to an AA meeting that night. And they were good, good meetings. And... Uh, the next day, Junior started working on this thing, and, and uh, lo and behold, they needed some parts. So he sent his wife over to the next town to get the parts. And Meantime, Ralph is saying, well, you know, Junior hasn't been to a meeting in about three months. And he said, how are we going to get Junior to a meeting? Now, picture this. This guy ain't even an Al-Anon. <laughs> and he's controlling. <laughs> and so... Uh, there's a great big guy. God, he he must have been that big, and he's about that broad. This fella, this fella at one time was a ninth-ranked heavyweight in the United States, in the world, and and he's down there going to AA meetings. And and this guy said, well, he said we could have a we could have a potluck dinner in our house. He says I'll cook up some hamburgers and steaks. Cause Ralph says swell. He'd been Tom Sawyer and didn't know it. Anyhow, we went out there and and Junior showed up. And and Junior went to his first meeting in three months, and and we had another meeting that night. You know, Uh, God and Junior didn't get our motorhome ready till the next morning, (laughs) six o'clock the following. This the the third morning, six o'clock in the morning. There's a bang on the door of the motorhome, and I looked out, and, and here's Jim, this great big ex pug, and he's got a grin on him from from ear to ear, and he said, "Has anybody told you that they love you today?" He says, "If they haven't, I do." Huh? <laughs> ah, here's this guy we just met the night before, you know. But this is this is what we run into, traveling all over, and it's it's really beautiful. I don't know uh, what to uh, what to talk about. All right, right now I'm at a blank. How are we doing on time? We must be getting close to about it. huh? Okay, um, I want you to know that uh, my, my ego couldn't handle to sit down and write out a speech. You know, my ego is such that that I feel that I could write down the, the greatest a- Al-Anon speech that has ever been written and utterly charm and befuddle everybody. But you know, I, I was I was on a program over at the University of Utah this summer for their. Thing that they do over there, and there was a gal came up to me afterwards, and she said, "Uh, "I really related to what you had to say." And I said, "Oh, that, that, thank you, thank you." She says, "Yeah, I was married to an sob like you." (laughs) And I understood that too. I understood that. I'm sure it wasn't easy. It started enough to get me down to Junior's station. Junior says, it's too hot now. I can't work on it till morning. And I think Ralph called him. You know. <laughs> but we did go to a uh, an Al-Anon meeting that night. And, and Charlotte went to an AA meeting that night. And they were good, good meetings. And uh, the next day, Junior started working on this thing. And, and uh, lo and behold, they needed some parts so he sent his wife over to the next town to get the parts and meantime Ralph is saying well you know Junior hasn't been to a meeting in about three months and he said how are we going to get Junior to a meeting now picture this this guy ain't even an Al-Anon <laughs> and he's controlling <laughs> so uh, there's a great big guy God he, he must have been that big and he's about that broad this fella, this fella at one time was a ninth-ranked heavyweight in the United St- in the world, and and he's down there, going to AA meetings, and and this guy said, well, he said we could have a we could have a potluck dinner in our house. He said, I'll cook up some hamburgers and steaks. Cause Ralph says swell. He'd been Tom Sawyer and didn't know it. Anyhow, we went out there and and Junior showed up, and and Junior went to his first meeting in three months, and and we had another meeting that night, you know. Uh, God Jr. didn't get our motorhome ready till the next morning. Six o'clock, the following, the, the, the third morning, see, six o'clock in the morning, there's a bang on the door of the motorhome. And I looked out, and, and here's Jim, this great big ex pug, and he's got a grin on him from from ear to ear. And he said, Has anybody told you that they love you today? He says, If they haven't, I do. Huh? Here's this guy we just met the night before, you know, but this is this is what we run into, traveling all over, and it's it's really beautiful. I don't know uh, what to uh, what to talk about. All right, right now I'm at a blank. How are we doing on time? We must be getting close to about it. Okay. I want you to know that uh, my, my ego couldn't handle to sit down and write out a speech. You know, My ego is such that that I feel that I could write down the, the greatest a- Al-Anon speech that had ever been written and utterly charm and befuddle everybody. But, you know, I, I was I was on a program over at the University of Utah this summer for their thing that they do over there. And there was a gal came up to me afterwards and she said, uh, I really related to what you had to say. And I said, oh, that, that, thank you, thank you. And she says, yeah, I was married to an SOB like you. <laughs> 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 you <know. laughs> and I understood that too. I understood that. It, it, I'm sure it wasn't easy. But it's getting easier for me to live with me and it's getting easier for me to live in the world around me uh, with your help. But I should also tell you that after that same meeting, two other things happened. One, one guy said that he had asked his wife, he said, why do these Al-Anons talk so long? And his wife says, because they remember. <laughs> and the other, the, the really the nicest thing happened after that thing in Salt Lake, and a little girl came up, and she didn't say hello, goodbye, or go to hell. All she said is, I'm going to go to an Al-Anon meeting, and that's kind of nice, and that's what I wish I could hear every one of you say, I'm going to go to an Al-Anon meeting. Thank you all, and love you. Thank you.
0: John told me earlier that he speaks by the calendar, not by the clock, and uh, isn't it funny how God heard that prayer and took away the words right at the right time? (laughs) Our next speaker is a member of the Alatine Fellowship, and I won't try to steal her thunder and tell you all about what Alatine is, except that it is... Another of the three parts of this beautiful fellowship that we share. This smiling lady is from from Lakewood, Colorado. She tells me she's nervous and I can understand that. This is Lisa S.
4: So oh, right. oh. thanks. Can everybody hear me? Never talked into a mic before. Okay. Um, I'm Lisa, and I've been in the program for almost six years. My mom's the alcoholic in our family, and my dad, you know, he, neither of my parents are in the program. And my dad can't handle, the you know, my mom being drunk every night and all this stuff, calling the cops. So uh, he took it out on my brother and I through child abuse. And we were sent off to foster homes for three weeks, had a, spend uh, Thanksgiving there. And my mom had signed a restraining order on us, meaning we couldn't go back for another 30 days, meaning we would have to spend Christmas there. So uh our social worker worked out a deal with my mom, you know, you know, go to court and everything, decide what everybody wants to do. Well, as it turned out, one of the conditions that we could go back home was if we went to Alatine And we said, No, first you know you know we thought no one had our you know no one had an alcoholic in their home and they had never been hit before or had any of the problems we had and uh we walked in everything my brother knew the sponsor's daughter so it made it just a little bit easier and she helps us out a lot and everything she's a wonderful lady (laughs) had a look at her (laughs) And uh, I know I was always afraid to bring friends over to the house because I didn't know what condition my mom would be in or anything. How the house was always a pit, but we got it cleaned up every night. And uh just, you know, afraid to do anything, afraid to let, you know, I was, I was really shy. I wouldn't let anybody, you know, know how I was inside. All they could see was the outside, you know, just sitting there going to classes being a good little kid <laughs> wrong no um you know i started opening up and everything and er, you know just, things just start to come out and uh people come over and the house is messy <laughs> that's tough you know my mom's been quit drinking a couple years ago or, you know she claims you know she's a little weird every now and then but um you know am a lot of my friends know about it, you know, I'm not afraid to know or to let them know that I do have a, a mom that is an alcoholic and that I have found help for it, you know. It's just, I don't know, I can, a lot of times, like if I miss a meeting or something, or a few meetings, and I'll be able to see how I'm slacking off and stuff, and I'll know that I'm working my program, but in a way that I'm not really aware of. It's just, you know, I'll go back to meetings meeting and everything, get my head back on, and be fine for, you know, until I miss a few meetings. But I've just, I've really opened up now. I know where I want to go. I know what, what I want out of life. You know, I'm not afraid of a whole lot and everything. It's just, that's it. It's just really neat. Thank you.